0: Welcome to the Instillery Top Shelf Technology. I'm Jeremy Nees, the Chief Technology Officer at the Instillery. And today I've got Ryan Joe, uh, Product Manager at the Instillery, and Joe Hassel from Actifio joining me. Welcome along, Joe. Thanks, Jeremy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about
1: yourself, who you are, where you come from? Sure. So, uh, originally an Auckland boy, I now live in Raglan. Uh, been working in tech for the last 17 odd years. Started as a developer, and i uh, worked my way through architecture and pre-sales, and uh, into into sales for, for Actifio now. So, what were you what were you developing back in the day? Oh, god, that was uh, it was it was mostly Java um, billing billing platforms, <laughs> yeah, energy billing platforms. I uh, did a bit of work for uh, some telcos, various different components. Did some interesting projects actually uh, back in the day. With uh, sort of DevOps before it was DevOps, you know, automating infrastructure builds. Right yep, yep. Uh, in the days when when blades were brand new. So yeah, some fun from some fun stuff. Cool, man. And you live in Raglan. I you do. like to
0: surf? Occasionally. Occasionally, <laughs> maybe sometimes we, at lunchtime when the surf's good. Yeah, yeah. You work for a uh, US software company that's been valued
1: at over a billion dollars. Yeah. So so Actifio's 10, 11 years old now, um, and uh, yeah, last valuation was, was 1.3-ish, so um, it's it's a good life, you know, getting the balance between uh, lots of meetings, pressure cooker, Auckland, Wellington, and then uh, actually getting the, the back-end admin work done at home and, and you know, sneaking, yeah. in, sneaking in a quick surf or lunchtime or picking up the kids after school, that kind of thing. How so
2: often do you... How long have you been in Raglan versus Auckland and Wellington?
1: Um, every, every week's variable. So the goal is to kind of work at home Monday and Friday and then travel Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But uh, it seldom actually works out like that. So it's it's just hit and miss. And uh, I'm probably away from home two nights a week and uh, at home the rest of the time. Talking about picking up the kids, I understand that you truly are living the dream.
0: You are a founding member of the Tech Kia Carnival uh, fan club as well <laughs> with Mike Jenkins.
1: That's right. I believe you'll be joining soon, Jeremy, with your uh, <laughs> you tri- tribe of eight, right? you almost did a soccer team, aren't you? <laughs> Get in there, mate. Get in there. Yep. Uh, the, look, I'd just like to put a plug in for the Kia Carnival, a truly <laughs> awesome vehicle. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. Um, and that would be great for SneakNet. And given we're here today to talk about democratising data, what a great introduction, Joe. There you go. Um, so people talk about data as the new oil. And I think we, we probably kind of understand that there's these uh, social media companies, you know, like you've got Facebook, you've got Google with, you know, all their ad, um, ads and search and that kind of stuff. And they know what to do with data. They make money out of data and that kind of stuff. But people say data is the new oil. What do you think that means for a typical Kiwi enterprise or uh, corporate company?
1: I think I, I, there's a few things to say about, uh, about that. So, I mean, if you look at where the wealth creation over the last 40 years has been, it's all been around software, right? Even like a... a a business like Amazon, which is ostensibly a retailer, is really all about uh, the IP of the software that they're creating, and and genuinely the the wealth creation is coming from from data because data is. Effectively, uh, information is an uh, infinite resource, you know. If you think about our materials economy, we're not making any more atoms on this planet, right? Unless we start mining asteroids. Uh, <laughs> there's no more atoms, right? So this is a closed-loop, finite system. And, and energy, right? Uh, we've got oil, but that's running out. And uh, we can't really harness enough of the solar energy. So that's m- also a sort of closed-loop uh, economy to a point. But information is really exponential uh, and the the things you can do with data and the things you can create uh, and the way that you can monetize that data is is really transformational in terms of uh, being able to, true, true wealth creation. So from a resource perspective, you're kind of also saying it's pretty important to our future. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, managing that data intelligently, being able to um, make the most use of it, especially as the, the data volumes grow, you know, like, I don't need to re- repeat the statistics, you've all heard them about the rate of, of expansion of data and the amount of data that's created, you know, this year versus the last 20 years um, is going to dwarf it. So, you know, that's, that's not going to stop.
2: So wh- why do you think it's so valuable?
1: Oh, that's, an, that's an excellent question. Um, if I had an answer, I'd probably be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think the fact is that, uh, you know, that's where all the intellectual property is stored in data and, and being able to um, make use of that data for intelligent purposes is uh, is what's creating the, that wealth. I think some of the simple things we see with it, with it as well is, you know, Uh,
0: improving customer um, experience. So we've got data sitting somewhere. And again, I'll I'll try to bring this back to a bit more of a, uh, you know, what a New Zealand corporate or enterprise could look like. They may have a, uh, you know, CRM system or some, you know, often monoliths that they've had for years that holds all the customer data holds a whole lot of transactional records about the interactions with that customer, what services they may get, it, that kind of stuff. And often it's quite locked up and um, it's just you know, they, it hard to get it out of those systems. You, you're trying to provide new customer experiences, new products to market, and that stuff's all sitting in a, um, in a you know bit of a data silo, often in
1: uh, some proprietary software that's pretty hard to get it in and out of. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see a lot of that. I, w- when I started in, in this role with Actifio... Um, I remember the, the first time I encountered an enterprise with uh, with more than ten terabytes in a single database, and it was it was actually our first first customer in New Zealand, a uh, government department, and I, I was stunned. You know, wow, that's a big database. And and you know now, commonly or frequently we see we see customers with databases of of fifteen to thirty terabytes, single instance databases, right? And that's a huge amount of information to be locked up. And, uh, you know, the, the, the value of that information ranges from, you know, genomics on our dairy herds through to, uh, as you say, customer experience or, you know, tracking how long a, a customer looked at a particular page on a website. That All that kind of data is all locked up. Um, and being able to make use of that data in novel and uh, creative ways is, is really gonna unlock a bunch of uh, opportunity. Cool. We
0: talk about it being locked up, that there's no APIs that you know you can't easily interact with it it's uh, it doesn't integrate well with other kind of formats like you know we've got an explosion of cloud data storage um, services now a lot more use of object storage and uh, you know rather than relational database uh, types different databases like your graph databases etc tell us a bit about what lock-in
1: actually means and in that, that sense Yeah, so uh, there's there's a couple of different things there. So, you know, we talk about data having uh, weight and gravity, right? Um, Gravity being it's hard to, to lift it and move it. Um, you know, while SSDs have got faster and, and bandwidth has got faster and cheaper, um, it turns out it still takes a long time to move 10 terabytes of data. Uh, and if you need to, to have multiple copies of that data for multiple different purposes, um, it gets very expensive very quickly. And, that, and that's the weight, right? You know, if you're making 10 copies of 10 terabytes, there's 100 terabytes of data. And if you're doing that on, on premise or in the cloud, either way, it's gonna be expensive. Um, and if you wanna be able to process lots of data, you often need to have multiple copies of it. Um, and you know we see uh, organizations making use of that capability to, to deliver that functionality so that they can parallelize a whole bunch of queries, for example. Um, so being able to unlock that data is, is in, in multiple purposes. So you might need to um, you know, run your end-of-month querying, for example, and that's going to take a different uh, – put, put a bunch of load on your database system that you don't necessarily want. So being able to make a copy of that data and make it available either via a different interface or an API perhaps – uh, gives you opportunities to process that data in, in new and novel ways.
0: Cool, so I could throw more money at my production system, but that kind of just scales up a little bit, vertical scalability. If I can take copies of that, shunt some off to AWS, for example, I can do a whole lot of cool stuff, I can spin you know, maybe spot instances up, I can process that, and all of a
1: sudden that, that data's a whole lot more active. Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, being able to you know feed your BI, uh, database into incrementally into, you know, some of the, uh, public cloud machine learning, um, yeah. capabilities. And, you know, if you've got, if you've got 15 terabytes of BI data, um, and you're adding, you know, a terabyte a week, you don't want to be doing that. Uh, ev- you don't want to ship 15 terabytes every week. You want to be able to ship that incrementally, uh, and add to your store of, of data that, that, you know, cloud machine learning can be turned on to. So you
0: talked about developing cloud telco billing systems, right? And these things are some of the most notorious systems for having lock-in in, uh, you know, in, in our industry, I think. But they hold a wealth of data about, you know, customers' history um, in terms of purchasing. Often they're supplemented by usage patterns and that kind of data where you can go, you know, how could we, how could we structure offers to these customers and that kind of stuff and really improve um, their experience. Um, Ryan, you've got, uh, you know, vast amount of experience in the telco industry from a product and marketing perspective, have you experienced, uh, you know, instances where you've wanted to get to some of this, the data that you may hold around customers to you know, form a new offer to whatever it might be and just found that too hard to do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we, you know, <coughs> before then, I hadn't really had any experience of cloud computing, but running SQL queries across massive databases <coughs> and trying to get updated data and recent data enough for us to be relevant for both personalizing offers and uh, and even test data was was a massive pain in the ass. Hmm.
1: I can give you you a great customer example of this. Yeah, Uh, go. So uh, I won't won't name the customer uh, because we're not pitching here, but the... uh the idea is basically they had a um, uh, a nightly process that they wanted to run to to do some forecasting on what the next day's trading activity would look like, right? So they had a, a very large database, and the traditional model they had was to, to take a backup of that database after the after the market had closed for the day, restore that database into a, a test environment, right, where they could run all of their uh, a- analysis algorithms to try and forecast. You know, if if this happens, then How's that going to pan out, etc.? Um, and you know, all of the uh, the traders would compete for the best model to run that night. So they'd have you know six or seven hours to run their model overnight on this on the single database, which was a copy of their production, right? But by by democratizing that data and um, making it. You know, removing the, the gravity and the weight of that data gave them the ability to to create multiple copies of that data instance, so that you know anyone who had a model that they wanted to run and test to see what the next day's activity might look like or forecast it was able to run that um, you know instantly, and that's you know leveraging the the scalability of, of public cloud uh, and um, you know democrat- democratizing data by by virtualizing it effectively.
2: So examples like that are really interesting to me. Um, you know, when Jeremy was talking about data being the new oil, really popular in Silicon Valley, do you think that New Zealand businesses are doing the most to take advantage of that? And if not, what 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 should they be doing?
1: Oh, look, I think I think they're trying, and I think uh, that there's definitely a desire to. Um, I think sometimes we have a, a little bit of, fear of failure or fear of sticking our neck out um, and, and breaking stuff uh, rather than that, you know, fail fast and, and break things kind of mentality uh, that you see more of in Silicon Valley. And, and perhaps that's to do with our, you know, lack of venture funding or, or whatever that is. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of enterprises could, could, could do a lot more a lot quicker than, than we see them doing today. Um,
2: but I don't think it's from a lack of desire. Do you think there are additional risks that come with that, and what should people be looking for? When I think about data, I think about Facebooks and Google's, and you think about like the Cambridge Analytica stuff and privacy concerns. Yeah, and billing platforms,
0: good example, right? Lots of personal information and those sorts of things. So, yeah, what what do people do around that?
1: I, I mean, I think there's a there's a bunch of uh, sort of common sense things that you can do around managing your data sensibly. So, you know, obfuscating data, uh, masking data. Um, integrating with platforms that can can take care of, of that in your data pipeline and really treating data as an asset. Uh, and, you know, assets are something to be protected and, and venerated, right? Um, so, you know, sensible management policies, role-based access control, all the kind of stuff that we have around our infrastructure, um, bringing that sort of those security and controls to, to the data layer um, and really starting to think about, you know, data as, Perhaps we used to think about infrastructure more.
0: Yeah, and I think we see that across the board with uh, you know services that create effectively data uh, assets or you know um, what data products for internal teams to consume. So it may be that you're using a, a, a uh, mix of different products to get data from one place to another, to store it, to analyze it, etc. But you're trying to produced, uh, in fact, a product to somebody internal, like it could be a BI person, it could be a data scientist, to go, I, n- I now have this data collated for me that I can go and analyse. I can now actually you know, make sense of that because somebody's done the hard work to integrate it. And um, I think that's part of part of when we talk about democratising data the integration of those pieces. Everybody's had these, you know, great ideas around big data, and you know, in fact, big data. You don't hear about it. I don't think to the same extent you did. Um, you did it a couple of years ago, and that people are a lot more pragmatic now. But that joining together of different data sets, we see. We see a lot of customers with a lot of their data and platforms like. SAP like Oracle, and this is that stuff that's typically not easy to move around or it's expensive because if you want to have another copy here to analyse and that kind of stuff, you've got to relicense it it, you've got to store stuff in quite high-performance um, areas. What, what kind of solutions do you see to those sort of problems or how do you see people, over, what, you know, what can you give us an example of people overcoming that kind of stuff where it's in a traditional system
1: and they're really trying to do more with that data? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the data that you're talking about is really the crown jewels of enterprise data a lot of the times. Yep. Um, it's it's really where the, the true value of the enterprise lies, and, and in that sense, it, it makes... It, it It's really important for the enterprise to protect it, but also to get the value out of it. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a number of different things that, that you can do in order to, to unlock that data, so, you know, getting it in out of that system into other systems. But uh, specifically, like... we we like to think about people treating data as a pipeline. So coming back to the oil is the data is the new oil analogy. Um, You know, if you're thinking about pipelining that data into other systems, um, then really making that data transportable um, and uh, transferable between systems. So, you know, we we see a lot of, uh, you know, you guys must as well. And then the cloud world, people doing a lot of uh, DevOps, continuous integration type work right so that's yep. sort, of, sort of your your application development through to your application deployment and operational management of your applications right and we're really looking for data consumers and data producers to start taking that sort of a mentality to their data assets. So really thinking about the life cycle of those data assets. So how are we provisioning copies of them? How are we managing them from inception to destruction? How are we protecting them when we move them between sites? You know, what sort of layers of encryption or obfuscation do we need to uh, enact and and how are we ensuring that those are being enacted at the right place and in the right time? um, Without Making it difficult for people to make use of that data because obviously you know you've got your your data consumers going give me more of the data give me more of the data and you've got your your data producers going well hang on we need to make sure that that you're only getting access to the the right data because you know if you're a you're a large telco you don't want some random developer getting access to all of your customer information right obviously that would be a huge breach yep. um, but you do want to have them be able to do accurate integration testing, for example. So uh, managing that, the pipeline of life, life cycle of that data uh, is, is re- really critical. And it's soft so in those copies of data that show up in
0: somebody's breach, right? It's, you know, they've, they've gone and dropped it into a, you know, um, some object storage in cloud and nobody's mm-hmm. secured and, um, well, there you go, you just found that. Hey, um, Connecting that up right, we're talking about the crown jewels, they're sitting in platforms like SAP and Oracle databases, Microsoft SQL, um, some really rich information and we're talking about going fast, CI CD pipelines, maybe doing development of new stuff in cloud, that kind of stuff um, and connecting that up and going you can move this data up there, that sounds expensive, does it have
1: to be? Uh, Look, I mean, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And yes, you can make it really expensive if you want to. Um, But, you know, by leveraging things like storage virtualization in the cloud... Um, being able to deliver rapid, efficient, storage efficient copies of data without having to make full copies of data um, really is a possibility today. And being able to integrate that uh, with your, your backup and your DR platform, for example, to be able to, um, you know, leverage and offset those data assets uh, in the cloud is, is a great way of generating some of those efficiencies, um, particularly if you, if you can automate a bunch of that capability. Cool. Any other thoughts that
0: you you know you'd like to leave us with on the subject? You've obviously got your experience. You come from a company that's you know doing some amazing data stuff globally. Uh, you've probably got some stories around you know some really interesting projects you've uh, you've, you've worked on or come across.
1: Uh, any any tidbits you want to throw out there? I mean. I- tidbits I, I think the, the the trend that we see across the market is uh, is you know right in your space right the instillery guys you guys were born in this space which is is that of um, of multi cloud uh, and from, from what we see f- across from from the biggest enterprises in country to, to the smallest is um, that's really the direction people are going so the you know right fit for the right product and the right cloud and that might be some on-premise stuff as well um, and you know I don't think the on-premise deployment stuff's ever going to go away completely so from an enterprise perspective or, or, or a governance perspective really thinking about how you're managing that data not just across its lifecycle but across all of your enterprise footprints, right? So it may be that you've got, you know, your email and your OneDrive and your SharePoint in, in Office 365. Well, you know, is that is that business critical data in there or is that just, you know, data you don't really care about, right? And and if it's business critical, then how are you, you know, carefully managing that life cycle? Um, do you want it all in in one cloud provider's Infrastructure. Do you want to distribute it across another cloud provider's infrastructure, or bring some of it back to your on-premise? Likewise, you know, do you need to have uh, you know an active and a passive data center in New Zealand anymore, or, or can you have you know your, your active production workloads running in your data center here, and then your DR running in some public cloud? Uh, it's another sort of trend that we're seeing a lot of, and and you know, what does that mean for your data, and how do you manage that data? across that different infrastructure seamlessly without you know, resorting to multiple point tools. Uh, you know, if, if you're doing cloud-native snapshots, then um, you know, now you've got three different clouds, now you're managing cloud-native snapshots in three different platforms as well as whatever your on-premise capability is, right? So trying to really get a coherent strategy around managing data through its life cycle and throughout your enterprise footprint, I think is uh, is really what what you know CIOs and uh, CTOs like yourself should should be thinking about um, from from a an idea to try and make a, a coherent strategy, but also uh, make that data coherent so that it can be consumed and and appropriate value derived from it. Does that make sense? It does. I think it does. And I'm just gonna wrap that up on an exa- with
0: an example, right? We've um Great customer of ours. I'll, ho- I'll hopefully get them on this um, show in a you know couple of weeks' time. Sanford, they're New Zealand's oldest uh, publicly listed co- uh, company, and they're doing some awesome stuff with data in ways that you wouldn't really expect. And it's exactly the scenario you talk about. They've got some stuff here in New Zealand. They've got some stuff happening in AWS. You know, they're moving their data around the place. They're doing some really cool stuff with it. I'm not going to unpick that right now, but I think you know the use cases go beyond these sort of um, you know some of the big gnarly things. Um, you know, in terms of you don't need to be a massive company to get started with this I think you don't need to um, have this data you know, it's project called big data and nobody quite knows what it means except for it's got a lot of zeros after it it's about being pragmatic getting started and um, actually you know taking some risk and, and you know not not in the way that you don't you don't care about this important data but in the way that you go let's just try to move some data around the place and try to analyze it in different ways and let's have a, a bit of a hypothesis around what we might find out of that data um, give something a try and often it doesn't cost a lot to to try it and you can turn it off afterwards. That's the beauty. Cool. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, Thanks, Joe, for uh, coming all the way from Ragland to to come and talk about democratising data. Uh, Thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate your time.